Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden, and we've got another flashback episode, this time the 2004 divisional round ass-whooping against the St. Louis Rams, and here to help me break it all down is Aaron Freeman, the host of Locked on Falcons, and Alan Sterk, the content mastermind over at Odyssey, and a wonderful content creator over with the Falcoholic. Aaron, of course, also helps out with Falcoholic. So, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm doing great, Will. Uh, appreciate you having me on to talk uh, old school Falcons. Uh, it was fun rewatching uh, this game because I barely remember it, but we'll, we'll get into the reasons why I barely remember <laughs> it. Yes. Thanks for having me on, Will. And yeah, it's a blast because we were debating uh, on the couple of seasons because we kind of dialed in which were the most enjoyable Falcons seasons. And it was cool to go back to 04 because... Uh, it's been a long time, and I feel like that Falcons team was super unique. And you guys have been have been going back a lot in uh, Falcons history. Recently completed your all-time drafts offensively and defensively. Um, I really enjoyed those episodes, so please go check those out on uh, Locked on Falcons, wherever you guys get your podcasts. Uh, Aaron, I learned, big fan of Ovi Mahaley, one of your, your last draft pick of the first yeah. episode, if, if I uh, remember yeah. correctly. So we're going to have to get you on uh, throughout training camp uh, when Ovi is with us and have just a wonderful conversation. But you hinted at this earlier. Where were you guys? I want to figure out, just kind of get the lay of the land. In 2005, Alan Stirk, what were you doing? I was 11 years old, and I think a blizzard just hit New York. So it was a warm Saturday night, just eating Pillsbury chocolate chip cookies, just ready <laughs> to watch Falcons on Prime Time. Because I didn't discover yet, uh, like, watching on the computer like i didn't know about league pass i didn't know about direct tv because i grew up with no cable so i think that season i was still relying on like cbs play by play and i watched highlights afterwards so to see the falcons actually nationally televised because they didn't have a lot of nationally televised games that year i think they played the giants which i got to watch because i'm from new york and ironically i was eli mang's first ever career start but besides that oh, wow. I was like, all right i could finally watch the falcons on tv and it's a saturday night and boy <laughs> what a game it was parents let you stay up late for that one i hope um oh, yeah Aaron, I, I don't, I don't know if you were 11 years old for uh, for this particular game. Where, where were you uh, on in January of 2005? A little bit older. I was a senior at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, <laughs> you know, that Saturday was a few days before my 22nd birthday, uh, and I was out at a bar with some friends, having a good old time. You know, that was that weekend was MLK Day weekend, so it was a three day weekend. Um, and, uh, I don't really remember too much of the game. Uh, I just remember <laughs> the Falcons kicked butt and I remember being very excited and, and yelling a lot in, in that bar. And I don't remember how the rest of the night went, uh, at that point in time, but I just remember it was, it was a great experience to see the Falcons, uh, take care of business against a, uh, inferior Rams team. They definitely did take care of business and, and we will get into all of that in one sec, but Alan, like you, I was 11 years old. Um, unlike you, I was in the state of Georgia for this game. In fact, I was in the Georgia Dome for this particular game. Um, I had the opportunity to go uh, tailgate all throughout the afternoon. No idea I was going to get to go. I think I wore my aunt down. She gave me tickets. 
Um, and so I was one of the four family members that got to go into this game. Uh, it was maybe the most electric Georgia Dome atmosphere that, that I've ever experienced. That's including 2016. It's right up there with it. Uh, it, because it was just the peak Michael Vick experience. Obviously Jim Moore in his first year gets the, the first playoff win in insane fashion. I mean, I think everybody just, this was peak euphoria for what the Michael Vick era could become. Um, and you certainly felt it inside of that building. If you're excited about the upcoming NFL season, and let's be honest, if you're listening to this podcast, that probably means you, our friends at Bet Online, continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. And it is the place where you can get in on the action with the Atlanta Falcons, or maybe you're a fan of another NFL team, in which case, thanks for listening. But head over to Bet Online to find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including Major League Baseball, fighting news, and next season's early NFL futures. With training camp right around the corner, Bet Online has now opened up odds for team wins, division futures, and of course, who is going to make it to and win the Super Bowl. I was just over there checking out the site before recording this. I would highly recommend Falcons fans to head over there. They've got odds for every level of the finish that the Falcons could have in the division. They have individual game matchups. They have over-under win total matchups. And the Falcons, not a surprise to a lot of you guys, have some great odds out there if you're feeling a little bit daring or maybe a little bit bullish on this team. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. As always, just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online, where the game starts. Let's just do kind of a quick recap. And go, having done a couple of these now, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the particular plays as we go through the recap. Uh, but we're going to try to not get too bogged down in a recap because honestly, just go watch this game. It's We can't do justice to how fun all of these plays are, um, even though we will try. So let's start things off. The Falcons first drive, Michael Vick, it's about like three plays in, third and two, takes off for 47 yards, massive highlight. He ran out of bounds. I'm not sure he needed to run out of bounds. Uh, I think <laughs> I he was just, I think he was just being generous. You don't yeah, think he was a little yeah. gassed? Because he, 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 he the third felt, play of the game? <laughs> this like, thing, though, he was about to get sacked. Like, I think it was a boot to the left, and then he ran the whole opposite of the field. So I think he, 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 he covered he, like 65 he, yards. You're probably right, Alan. He probably was a little tired, but yeah. he basically had ran past the person that he needed to True. beat yeah. to score a touchdown. So it just felt like if he wanted to score, he probably could have scored. Yeah, he just plants yeah. that outside leg and kind of gets reoriented back north and south. But it it seemed like he had that chance. He didn't take it anyway. He he then just does it with his arm, right? Like we we've seen it do, do with his legs a billion times. But he connects with Algie Crumpler on an 18 yard touchdown pass, and it just feels so great to be able to say that sentence again because i you know i think that meant a lot to a lot of us in the early part of this millennium um and it was a pretty good throw by michael vick by his standards i mean kind of put it right and really t- it's more like a matt ryan to tony gonzalez throw that we would kind of come to see great comparison in later years but vick put it right on the money and then the rams they come back and they actually put probably their best offensive drive of the game together to respond to that opening drive they got Really good running uh, by Marshall Falk. And then a complete breakdown in coverage uh, where Mark Bolger hits Kevin Curtis for a 57-yard touchdown pass. And in our notes, we kind of went back and forth a little bit on this. Alan, what did you see in that coverage breakdown? Uh, it was 
it was bizarre because it looked like Kevin Mathis was passing him off, and then Brian Scott, I think, was going deep to cover Tory Holt, and then next thing you know, it just no one picked up Kevin Curtis. So I think it was on Mathis, but then again, I think uh, Brian Scott uh, misunderstood his assignment, and I totally forgot going to scheme who the Falcons' safeties were. Like I knew I had a good gist of what the team was. Like we'll mm-hmm. talk about, I kind of forgot about Roberto Garza, but I totally forgot the safeties were. I was like. <laughs> They were a bit forgettable, but uh, yeah, I think it was more, I would say, I'm Brian Scott than Kevin Mathis, but I guess both could be held culpable. What about you, Aaron? Yeah, you know, it, it's fair. It, it may have been um, cover six or whatever, uh, where the, the corner has to have the deep half of the field. And, you know, I think the broadcast team pointed out that um, he was supposed to trail deep, but he got sucked up by another route. But it just, it felt weird that like, Brian Scott, you know, if it was covered too, like he kind of went all the way to one side of the field and yeah. it like double like, Tory Holt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was just like, uh, you know, maybe you should not do that. <laughs> they, they doubled him with like both safeties. I was like, that, yeah. that seems like a misuse because the yeah. reason I think we see Mathis, he starts trailing Kevin Curtis like it's man coverage. And Kevin Curtis is running kind of those one of these long drag routes, these Yankee kind of, right. not a full Yankee, but a little like more yeah. under Sam over Mike, like that type of concept. But yeah, Mathis is going with him until about the hashes and then pirouettes and starts hightailing it back to the deep kind of third of the field, which is what makes me think it could be cover six where it's like quarters, one side mm-hmm. man cover. Cause the other guys are playing man, which leaves Brian Byron Scott to, to be kind of the one who should have been playing his deep half of the field where the completion was made. Um, but again, someone screwed up. That's all we, we don't know who it was. <laughs> yeah. you know. yeah. Can I make one but note about this drive? Because the first play so memorable, just a young D'Angelo Hall, just bursting down leveling Marshall Falk, a bit of a late hit could have been a penalty in this day of modern age and just talking right away. Just like, Oh man, rookie D'Angelo Hall just couldn't help himself. Rookie D'Angelo Hall was such a joy in this game played really well. Yeah. I thought too. Um, yeah. You know, Cause he had, had a cover Tory hold a bit. Yeah, yes. he had his battles. He had a tough matchup there. Um, so that's those are the first two drives. And the, the broadcast team comes up with a note that both teams are averaging 15 yards per play on their opening drives. So again, this is a game that got off to an amazing start. Really shot out of the cannon, which is what you would expect with these two offenses. That wouldn't, that wouldn't last for the Rams. I, I'm just going to foreshadow it uh, and, and say that. And maybe this next play was a sign of things to come because the Falcons get the ball back. And on the very first play, Antoine Edwards drops what could have very easily been a pick six. I mean, he steps, he does the hard part. He reads the coverage. He steps right in front of the receiver. It hits him right in the hands. I don't know, guys. Maybe Michael Vick threw the ball too hard. <laughs> no, I think he lobbed it from what I remember. Like, I, th- I think he didn't put enough on it. Or I don't know if you're being sarcastic. Am I just totally missing this? L- little bit. Little bit of a joke. Okay, there. yeah. See, I'm, I'm my <laughs> no, see, I'm, so, I'm so entrenched right now. In fact, I'm trying to ask you guys. Is Eric Beverly the biggest third tight end you ever seen in your life? Because that's, that man is, is massive. That's what I want to ask. Brett the throw. <laughs> yeah, Eric, Eric Beverly, the biggest 300-pound uh, tight end. You know, I'm trying to think, like, who, who could be that guy for the 2022 Falcons? You know, maybe they Ooh. can get uh, – they got that undrafted rookie out of <laughs> – Anthony Rush could be it. Yeah, That's a good buddy of yours here, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, they got a, a – a UDFA out of UTSA named Leroy Watson that they're trying to convert into an offensive lineman. Uh, so maybe he's pushing 300 at this point in time. He could be that type of tight end. But yeah, 
Eric Beverly being a 300 pound blocking tight end and, you know, throwing him the football, probably good things <laughs> are not going to go your way if you're throwing an offensive lineman the football down the seam. Well, luckily yeah. they, uh, they kind of did go the Falcons way on, on this one with the drop pick, because like I said, it, it could have very easily swung 14, seven quickly in favor of the Rams and the road team. And that would have quieted down the crowd. Instead, Work done gives the crowd a, a massive play to cheer for with a 61 yard touchdown run where he pretty much breaks one arm tackle. And I, I think that this was an early sign that the offensive line was really going to be cooking during this game. Uh, did, what did you guys think when you saw that early? Like uh, you don't see a 61 yard touchdown run a lot. Yeah, I mean, this offensive line was was doing it all game long. I think Keenan Forney had a, a great block on on that particular run. It, it was just like they just kept getting a hat on a hat. And I don't know if it was the Rams with bad run fits or just the Falcons offensive line was executing brilliantly in this game. And it led to, you know, basically work done, being able to do the things that he was able to do at the second level. That was one of the more lasting memories I had of work done. It's like if you could just get him to the second level, he would uh, be juking guys. There's, a, you know, we'll mm-hmm. probably talk about it later. There's a nasty juke move that he puts on Antoine Edwards later in this game. And, you know, Work done was the man and just like this offensive line. Like when you're looking at, you know, the current Falcons and like, okay, we're running this outside zone scheme. And you go back to this 04 unit. You're like, this is how it's supposed to look. Yeah, I forgot about Kevin Schaefer. He, he, and he had some moments in this game. He, you saw that nasty streak. He was battling. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised they didn't get into uh, a few more fights knowing the aggression between this Atlanta offensive line at the time and, and some of the guys that were on the Rams team. Um, because you know, those, the defensive line there was nasty for a couple of years. Uh, but the offense for, um, St. Louis can't really do anything on, on their following possession. So then the Falcons, uh, kind of end the first quarter with a big run from work done, who at this point was really starting to get going. Uh, a couple of Michael Vick scrambles, not necessarily the bootlegs that we would see later in the game, but just classic Michael Vick. Uh, getting out of trouble. Michael Jenkins has a nice catch on this drive. He was a rookie this year. So, you know, big things to come. Uh, And then uh, another long 19 yard touchdown run by work done. And at this point uh, there, there's about a little less than 10 minutes left in the second quarter and it's 21 to seven Atlanta. And I think that the Falcons were feeling really good. They, they had beaten this Rams team earlier in the season pretty handily. And it looked like, you know, everything was setting up for that to once again be the case. but here come the Rams again and their first drive of the second quarter. Really solid. Steven Jackson, also a rookie in this game. How nice would it be to just say, you know, Marshall Falk, come off the field. There you go. Steven Jackson, a fresh young Steven Jackson. You get in there. Uh, but again, Kevin Curtis, big play by him in this drive. And then Torrey Holt really does the only thing that he does in this game, which is catch a 28 yard touchdown pass from Mark Bolger. But the Rams then cut it back to seven uh, and and I think that this drive really highlighted the transition between maybe the ground game for the Rams, which really was rolling in the first quarter and now pivoting to Mark Bolger being the more driving factor for the rest of this game for the Rams off of offense, mostly because Atlanta built a big lead. But what did you see from from kind of this drive with with Mark Bolger starting to get comfortable and establish himself? I was just looking at the touchdown. I just made a hard pump fake. And unfortunately, that touchdown, we didn't get the whole all 22 look. But I just, <laughs> I, that's why we didn't get to see the safeties bit. But it seemed clear like somebody bit on that. But because they were throwing a couple of different looks, like Ed Dontel, you knew he would love to mix it up. So you knew, uh, I think, 
Sometimes they have blitz with Brookings, sometimes with Chris Draft. Mm-hmm. But Bolger, he, his pocket presence in the first half was spot on. Like even when the when they brought pressure to the Falcons, Bolger was hitting throws, and it just seemed like the Falcons really respected the Rams' deep threats. Like they were very cautious of Kevin Curtis, obviously Tory Holt. Uh, Dane Hooker, who I forgot about. I remember. Um, <laughs> no, I was gonna say Sean. I was, I was gonna say Sean Jefferson. It wasn't Sean Jefferson for a Falcon? There's some other receiver. I'll blank it up. But like, I think there was a lot of uh, respect paid to him. And I just also think the Falcons' second that year, they were kind of playing above their heads. Like it wasn't that talented of a group. So yeah, there was a lot of deep zones, and it just seemed like Bolger. Like you give him time, he's gonna pick you apart. And it just seemed like early on, he was very comfortable doing that. And then you just saw the touchdown. It felt like to me early in this game, they really were going after D'Angelo Hall. Mm-hmm. And you would think that they would be going more after Jason Webster in this game just because, you know, Jason Webster was always kind of the, the weaker link at, at, for this Falcon secondary back in those days. But that that was kind of one of the observations I had. Yeah, and I couldn't tell if necessarily the Falcons, because Alan, like you said, they were clearly playing off and they were respecting, I think, Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce was ruled out before this game. But oh, obviously yeah. the the pair of those two were kind of part of the defining greatest show on turf when it was really humming. And that that's kind of where it couples with the Kevin Curtis big touchdown reception on on their first touchdown drive. The two safeties just clearly locked on a Torrey Holt and really kind of focused on them. It's fortunate, I think, for the Falcons that they were able to build a big lead because then it played into that defensive game plan where we're just going to throw a blanket over the top. And we're not going to let you get behind us. We're going to make you check it down to Marshall Falk. We're going to make you use Kevin Curtis to beat us. Um, the tight end, Umanua, whatever. You guys remember that name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <Right on Mula. laughs> yeah. Because we all, Mike Martz loves starting the tight ends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tight ends with names you can't pronounce on podcasts. Yeah. Um, so, that that cuts Atlanta's lead to seven. Uh, and it it kind of seems just like this is going to be a classic shootout. And just when Michael Vick is is ready to take off down the right sideline again, he trips on his own, but not on his own because I'm convinced somebody was in the crow's nest, took him out with a sniper rifle uh, and he falls. And because he was holding the way that we all know and love, the ball slips out and the Rams take over. And, and all of a sudden, it kind of looks like all right, like which team is going to blink first here? And it kind of looked like the Falcons would, but what, how much do we know and love that, that Michael Vick um, ball-carrying tendency? I, I think in, in 2004, like we hadn't, you know, by the, I, I remember later in Michael Vick's time, it was like, it was very frustrating. These <laughs> fumbles just seemingly come out of nowhere and just like routine plays. But I think because it was still relatively early, in the Vic experience. And as you said, well, at the top, you know, this was like kind of the height, like this is the time where like, okay, we're, we're really doing something here in, in this yeah. season. Like you can kind like of he's for- Superman. Yeah. Yeah. You can kind of forgive some of this stuff, but it, it, it is frustrating that like over time, these types of plays seem to just keep piling up over and over. Like I, I remember him fumbling against the Browns and well, I think it was Oh five. And that kind of, Oh no, six, Oh six. Was it, oh, six? Okay. Cause it was, it, because I remember, I think they were like six and two, and they lost two consecutive games to Detroit and yeah, Cleveland. Yeah, two, right. Two very bad teams, and that was the downfall in those like, six. I, and I just remember those fumbles, big both weeks. Yeah, Ugh. and it was just like, I, I can't deal with this. But like, I, I remember what, when we were watching this game, I'm like, how is that a fumble? But like, they kind of explained it, like he wasn't touched, and I'm like, but the ground yeah. caused the fumble, you know. But clearly, I don't, I don't understand the NFL rules then or. Aaron, I got. 
I got a quick question. Uh, they were showing Matt Schaub a little bit on the silence. You think Schaub should have got a chance in there? <laughs> he, he was a rookie this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Alan, because I think the the next play that happens is, or the next time the Falcons have the ball is is maybe your favorite play of the game. Do you wanna you wanna break us down, uh, Alan Rossum's punt return? Oh man, what a thing of beauty that was! So I totally forgot, and I don't want to butcher his name. Joe DeCamillis, thats how you say his name, correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah, so I totally forgot about him. I I was just reading up on. I was like, oh wow, this guy really was brilliant. And what a sub! I know D'Angelo Hall was on one side, and then the other side was was a Michael Williams. I have no I idea who the other player. person was, to be honest. Yeah, I can't remember they, said some guy, they said they said some. It was like the most generic name I've ever heard in my life. I think it was like Michael Williams. So I was like, who is this? But I gotta tell you, <laughs> so you had two just splitting. And and um and big credit to Daniel Hall. He kind of he kind of uh, faked them out. He was pretending like he was going to catch like this. He put his hands up, and I do think that took away at least two of the players on special teams. And then once at that time period, if Alan Russell was in the open field, he was going to do damage. Like he was one of the scariest returns. Like everyone remembers Dante Hall during that time period, but I'll put Alan Russell at number two during that time period. And oh man, what a change! And it was just hilarious. Like you saw going to the game, you see all these statistics like. The Rams special teams, 32, 30, or 31st. Like, I forgot the exact statistics, but it was like yards allowed per kickoff, harm return. Like, <laughs> it was just bad. And you just knew it was like, oh, man. And the Falcons had a strong special team. Like, you, you saw like Jay Feely was in his prime. Uh, the punter, I think it was Chris Moore, mm-hmm. yep. if I'm not mistaken. I don't think Michael Kane was there just yet. So the Falcons had a really good special team. And you just see like, every time they always had a plan. And I think because if you remember in that game, like they were improvising a little bit with D'Angelo. You know, there's one point he actually caught a pass. So mm-hmm. uh, it was cool to see who was, I believe, the eighth overall pick that year. I know D'Angelo was a top 10 pick, but they utilized him in a variety of different ways and to help open up that return because he plays a big factor in that return that leads to you know the touchdown. And from there on, I think Falcons took over. Yeah, Aaron, were you surprised that the, the fake punt the fake like reverse works because I feel like it never does. I, I thought it was actually pretty brilliant. I, I'm like, why can't more teams do that by doing the double fake and having three guys deep and then both of those mm-hmm. guys faking. And that basically forces the gunners to sort of hold on the outside. And then Rossum yep. just sort of cuts up the middle and he gets great blocking. And basically I think he may, maybe jukes like two people and he's, you know, yeah. in the end zone. And I'm like, more people need to do that. Like that actually I think would be <laughs> pretty brilliant to, to pull off, not just sort of the one fake, you know, pitch or whatever on the punt return, but actually doing the double uh, fakes, uh, I, I think actually would, you know, be decently effective. Probably he's not going to score every, every single time. You, you need to make sure you have an Allen Rossum and, you know, it helps to go against the worst special teams in the league. You know, maybe, maybe yeah. it'll work against the Packers <laughs> or somebody like that, but uh, you know, to, yeah. in today's day, but. Yeah, it was it was it was notable because like watching the broadcast, like that was the first thing that they talked about at the top of the show on the opening kickoff is how bad the Rams special teams was, and it proved to be like a really big factor uh, in this game, negative in the in the Rams' favor and positive in the Falcons' favor. Yeah, I, I wonder if if that would work necessarily against like Bill Belichick, but uh, yeah. it certainly worked in this game, and and Allen Rossum part of the Rams' C and uh, ended up in the end zone sixty eight yards later, so. Not much else happens. I think it, it, at the end of this second quarter, first half, um, Jeff Wilkins hits a 55-yard field goal for the Rams, which would turn out to be the last points um, for the Rams. And they said that his long and warm-ups were, was 48 yards on the broadcast. He hit that thing. I swear to God, it would have been good from 75 yards out. Uh, he, he really hit it well. It was um, a boot. 
It was, I mean, it was like halfway up the net when it crossed the thing. I was like, all right, that dude is filled with adrenaline right now. Um, so it looked like maybe the Rams could get something going at the end of the first half. All of that momentum immediately went right out of their balloon in the start of the third quarter because one of the wedge blockers on the kick return team just decides to turn around and over the shoulder catch the kickoff runs into the Rams returner ball hits the ground. They dive on it at the 10. It's a three and out three plays later when Steven Jackson drops a very short third down pass. All of a sudden Atlanta gets the ball back dropped passes. Miscues would be a huge theme of the second half for the Rams. Was it all very apparent to you kind of seeing that these three plays or these four plays, I guess in, in a road, did you think, were you a little concerned about the Rams, Alan, when, when you saw it all go down like that? I'm trying to remember live. I think I was just so confident because the Falcons were really controlling the line of scrimmage. I just feel like every time they got the ball, they were going to score. That's how dominant they were offensively. So at that point, and one thing I think the Falcons did very well defensively, I didn't check the stats beforehand, but they had to be at least, if not top five, top 10 in just forcing turnovers. Like that defense, whether they were strip sacks or interceptions, like they knew I'd take the ball away from the other team and you know Bolger was always due for interception too not to mention but we didn't mention like he was really banged up at a couple points in this game I think he came in with like a bad hip and then he hurt his knee late in the first half so the punishment was starting to add up and I just felt like yeah the Rams were going to crumble at some point because it's just like the Falcons are just scoring 20 points and that pass rush was going to get to him eventually the Falcons keep on scoring points on their next drive Alan Rossum sets him up great again with 39 yard return and Michael Vick does his magic on third down, especially uh, a third and two as they're just kind of outside of the red zone. Breaks off a huge bootleg scramble that was clearly a design scramble uh, all the way as he just absolutely hits top speed right out of the gates by the time he hits the line of scrimmage. Nobody can catch him. It's, it's like a 25-yard gain. And then another touchdown pass. So he's doing with his legs, getting him down in there inside of the red zone. Peerless Price uh, makes his presence felt one of the few times in this game and makes a really nice kind of physical play to, to get open for the touchdown. What did you see on the touchdown pass to peerless price, Aaron? Well, the thing that I noted was it was kind of like a sprint out and we sit Mm -hmm. here in these recent years and be like, why do teams run sprint outs? Obviously the Falcons infamously (laughs) ran one against the Eagles uh, in a playoff game that they happened to lose a couple of years back. And it sort of, we, we criticize that type of play in the red zone because it's like you're cutting off, half the field but like right the thing i think with michael vick like that's the perfect play call for michael vick because everybody's so scared of what he can do with his legs that defenders eyes automatically get sucked up so even if you're cutting off half the field like people are not paying any attention to what the wide receivers are doing so i think that type of play actually works really well with michael vick and you know peeler's price you know got had his moment and it was like the only moment he had in this game and probably the only moment he had in this season um you know, I know, Alan, you, you want to, you know, defend Peerless Price. Uh, on this <laughs> he point. had a great catch against he had a great catch against the Chargers that set up a game winning field goal. It was like a 50 yard bomb. So I'll say that the reason why I always have a soft spot for Peerless Price is I just I'll never forget reading Sports Illustrated Kids because uh, I was a kid back then. And I just remember a Peerless Price interview when he said uh, me and Michael Vick will be the new Steve Young and Jerry Rice. And I was so excited. I was like, Let's go. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say anything else after that. <laughs> That does kind of seem like the uh, the quote that Sports Illustrated kids would not push back on, you know, that just they're they're just sellouts over there at that publication, you know, not not getting the hard school journalism. But oh, that was that was oh a my classic. gosh. 
that touchdown really does kind of start putting the screws to the Rams. It's 35-17. Got another three and out. Rod Coleman, a big defensive line game. We'll get to them in in a little bit. Allen Rossum, a 44-yard return this time. He is just like kind of looks like the best player in this game every time he touches the ball, which is insane considering everything we've said about work done, Michael Vick uh, and Peerless Price apparently so far. So the Falcons add a a field goal there, 38-17. And then this is where stuff really starts to kind of fall apart even more for the Rams offense. And especially Mark Bolger starts to to fall apart physically. Jason Webster intercepts a a pass for the Falcons that was thrown uh, deep by Mark Bolger. It looked like he ran that route. Uh, basically for the receiver. That was kind of one of the more insane interceptions, but I credit Mark Bulger for continuing to try to push the ball down the field. Falcons don't do anything with their offensive drive, but it doesn't really matter. They've done enough, and now they can let the defense take over. Um, The next drive, Keith Brooking, classic kind of Keith Brooking play, runs in, strips Mark Bulger, Travis Hall recovers it. Uh, Alan, what did you see on this defensive play as now in the fourth quarter, the, the defense really starts to assert itself for Atlanta. Oh, I love this concept that Dante put together. Like I thought it was really well designed and I think he wanted because knowing Mike Martz and just the Rams at that point, they had to abandon the run and third down was time to get, you know, amp up the pressure. So I love the way they used Chris draft who I always thought was one of the most underrated Falcon players. Like you watch Chris draft back in the day, he was getting after it. He was never afraid of contact. You know, you always criticize linebackers now for not being able to take on blocks. To me, Chris Draft always took on blocks. So I always appreciate him. So he kind of did the run the work and then Brooking kind of uh, swerved behind him. And then all of a sudden, Rock Coleman's also sharing pressure. So that whole A gap got kind of blown up. And the next thing you see, like Coleman could have got the sack, but then Brooking hit it from behind. And I think, uh, and we'll definitely talk more about, you know, rest in peace, Tony Saragusa was talking about how Travis Hall should stayed up and at least returned a couple yards, but nevertheless, he got the ball. And <laughs> I totally forgot Travis Hall was on a team because let's not forget, he was on that 98 team. I felt like he was old then, but here he is at that old 14. <laughs> so it was cool to see Travis Hall. And I, I kind of forgot how deep that Falcons defense line was. We saw Ed Jasper, who I forgot about. I didn't know what year Chad Lavalleas was on the team, but he was a rookie then. And I just liked his name, even though I know he was kind of disappointing. But uh, it was a, that Falcons <laughs> D-line was really cool. And uh, it was, I think, once the second half started, like you just saw them during more and more pressure. And it was also good to see they weren't really relying on Patrick Kearney. To me, Patrick Kearney made his presence felt more uh, against the run rather than as an edge rusher. 100%. I, I agree. Aaron, where do you stand on Keith Brooking? I I feel like I've oh. got a vibe for you on, on certain players <laughs> and I have no feel for Keith Brooking, but but I know I'm curious to hear your take because I'm sure it's a good one. I, I, I loved Keith Brooking early in his career. It was around this time where I felt like Keith Brooking kind of had... I don't know the term, maybe jump the shark a little bit. Like he, like Alan <laughs> mentions Chris draft. Like I remember these teams and always thinking like Chris draft was the better linebacker on the team. And then shortly thereafter we had Michael Boley and I felt like Michael Boley was the better linebacker, but yet every year Keith Brooking got voted into the pro bowl, you know, because he was getting racking up huge tackles or whatever the case may be. Right. And so it was around this time where I was like, I think Keith Brooking's starting to lose a little steam. He's getting all these accolades. He's being, hyped up and anybody who knows me knows that the thing that, you know, gets under my skin more than anything else is when I think a Falcon player is overrated and, you know, I will sit here and, <laughs> and die on a hill to be like, this guy's not as good as you guys think he is. All right. Alan knows that. Cause I, I basically 
back in 2016. Every week we just, I was dogging Vic Beasley. I'm like, this guy's not that good and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, here we go again with the Vic Beasley stuff. Uh, so like this was. Most new as well. Yeah, this was the turning point for me around. Like he, he was still a good player at this point in time, but like it was shortly around this time where it was just kind of like, is, is this guy as good as he's hyped up to be? Uh, but like, obviously he, he had a great career in Atlanta, one of the better linebackers uh, to play for the team. But uh, at this point in time, I felt like he was starting to jump the shark a little bit. <laughs> I thought it was like 06 when he started like really dipping. Because to me, Keith Brogan was always better as like a weak side linebacker than a middle linebacker. I remember he was forced to play middle linebacker at times because of injuries, and he would just get totally overwhelmed. Yeah. You know, just like, ah, he's not that good. Nah, but uh, apparently one 2006, apparently it was right after this play. Aaron uh, grabs his notebook, and like Ryan from the office just... Scribbled a name down and <laughs> underlined it, and uh, and forever Keith Brooking was on his list. So uh, good, good to know. <laughs> um, the the Falcons don't really do too much offensively with with this gift that uh, Keith Brooking provides, but their punter Chris Moore does a lot and absolutely booms a punt, nails the the Rams back within their five yard line, and then that is where another member of this defensive line, Brady Smith, who I. God, I just have such fond memories of the combo of Patrick Kearney and Brady Smith um, coming off the edges for the Falcons. But he takes Mark Bulger's soul out of his body for a, a split second. Um, borderline offsides, mm. but I mean, timed it, timed it kind of so well that that like it would have been really tough to, I mean, it maybe even overturn, but clean hit right on the back of uh, Mark Bulger and I, I really didn't know if he was going to get up from that hit. Alan, the, do you think he was offsides? I think he was offsides, just slightly. <laughs> but, you know, we'll so Tony Sergus said, take it. Yeah, Goose said. Uh, what's crazy is, so the Falcons and Rams played in the regular season that, se- that year. And there's only two things I remember from that game. I remember Brady Smith actually having a big sack. And then Vic, the Vic touchdown where he flipped in the air. Like, oh, remember yeah, that, yeah, remember yeah. Baker? yeah, so that was that game. So that's the only things I really remember from that Falcons-Rams regular season game back in 04. But uh, Brady Smith making timely plays. And it was rare to see Orlando Pace get beat like that because I just, growing up, mm-hmm. I just remember Orlando Pace, Walter Jones, Jonathan Ogden. Those are the three left tackles that were just, those who the left tackles you want to watch. Like, that was just the peak of left tackle play. So 100%. I think Pace was slowing down a little bit at, at this point. But uh you know, kudos to Bray Smith, one of those like really underappreciated players, just someone that always hustled. Uh, I don't know if this comparison is going to go down well, but I think he's like a slightly better version of Corey Beer. Okay. Not as versatile. I think he's a better Corey version. Corey Beer can play safety. He's a better version of Corey Beer. That's true. Because I think Bray Smith had a double-digit sack season one year. So, yeah, yeah, Brady, Brady Smith was a really good run defender and then turned yeah. into a really good pass rusher for the Falcons. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, how much do you think the because obviously the Rams being backed up right there at that at that far five yard line? And I'm, I'm honestly trying to remember if that was the end zone where my seats were, because I was right above one of the tunnels. And so I, I can't remember which one it was. But the crowd noise, again, all I can remember being deafening. It, how many times can we say that an Atlanta Falcons crowd has probably caused the other quarterback like oh, serious man. injury? <laughs> I think you just triggered a, a whole bunch of listeners right there. Oh, Will, man. With that comment. First, <laughs> Beerman, now this. Oh, um, 
<laughs> Will, only Aaron's supposed to be making problematic comments, not us. We won the game, Alan. It's okay. It's all good in hindsight. True, true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think it was, it's a combination of the crowd noise. The dome was a rocket. Um, you know, Mercedes-Benz Stadium hasn't been a rocket as much recently, but the, the, no one was really questioning that about the Georgia Dome, especially during this time, during this era. You talked about the combination of the Falcons having the lead. That basically these guys were pinning their ears back. You know, if Twitter existed back then, we would have been tweeting like, oh, Brady Smith owns, you know, Orlando Pace. He, <laughs> he, he's, he's, you know, all these various things. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was a great moment because that's one of the few memories I do have of this game of Brady Smith just blowing past Orlando Pace to get that safety. I, I think probably after this point, watching the game originally, this is where I blacked out at this point in time uh, in the game. That was my last, <laughs> the last memory of the game. Did you at least hear Dick Stockton's quote? <laughs> well, yeah, Dick Stockton had the line of the night, I thought, after this play. He was basically said, if this was a fight, they'd stop it, which is which is true when the Falcons took that 40 to 17 lead at that point. 100%. I, I'm, I'm honestly kind of surprised they didn't stop it at this point anyway, but the, the Falcons then essentially just stop it themselves with, uh, I don't think you would define the Michael Vick Certainly, maybe not the, the Michael Vick with the Greg Knapp offense as like a very methodical offense, even though I know that that's kind of what Greg Knapp intended it to be. It's just I don't know if Michael Vick was patient enough to really make that happen. But on this drive, they absolutely were. And it was a masterclass over 10 minutes. And that is exactly how you milk out a, a game. They get the ball back with just under 11 minutes, 40 seconds left. They give the ball back with under two minutes uh, to go. This is what you were mentioning earlier, Aaron. Uh, work done destroys Antoine Edwards knees with, with just an open field move, which should have been his third touchdown of the night. And it gets called back. Um, but that's okay because it gives TJ Duckett a chance to both literally and figuratively put the nail in the coffin because after he scores his touchdown run ball on the ground, nose right on the ground, bangs the top part of the nose with, with an imaginary hammer. I really think this was a cool, uh, touchdown celebration. Mm-hmm. What, you know, Aaron, it's why don't, iconic to me. Yeah. Why don't you see it? Why don't you think we see it more in the, in the league? Like nobody's picked this up. I feel like it's just sitting there for anybody to use. I don't know. I, I have no idea. <laughs> but like it, it, you're right. It, it's something that you should see a lot more, um, particularly for, you know, these big grinding running backs that can just sort of do this on every single play or whatever, or every single game where it's like, yeah, you know, I'm putting this nail in the coffin uh, to sort of, you know, in this sort of saga. It doesn't seem like it would draw a penalty, right, Alan? Like uh, it's not intended towards anybody. There's no throat slash. It's just. No. Yeah. It's a perfectly cool celebration. I just think a lot of players are so into dancing these days. That's the thing. Like they got to get on the next dance, but who knows? Maybe Tyler Algier will get into it. You know, I interviewed him a few months ago. I told him Falcons history, check out Michael Turner, TJ Duckett. So maybe he'll pick up on it. And maybe week one, we might just see. Who knows? Uh, I do want to make one mention because we're talking a lot about the offensive line. Yeah. But the fullback, Fred McCray, I don't remember him being this good. Do you guys remember him being this good? Because, you know, we're talking about Obi Mahaley earlier. He looked like Obi Mahaley. <laughs> I think because I think Justin Griffith got hurt that year, right? And then they kind of signed right, yeah. Fred McCurry yeah. late in the season, kind of picked him up. And he was just, yeah, he was just hammering dudes. Basically channeling his inner Ovi. Five big blocks. It was, it, well, it was kind of after Ovi got hurt, and I think they switched Jason Snelling over to fullback. And, and Jason Snelling kind of did really admirable in that role as well. And, and that's kind of the way that I viewed um, 
you know, McCray in this one that just really like a yeoman's workmanlike role, which is what you want from a fullback. And I will also say, you know, I, I think we'll get to him a little bit more later, but Algie Crumpler watching him as a blocker was incredible because I kept almost getting fooled seeing 83 like motion across the the lineup. And of course I, I know that that's Algie Crumpler. That's my original 83. That was my favorite number growing up as a kid. Um, oh, nice. Because Harry Douglas just is like kind of ingrained in my, in my brain now. And so I was like, is that, is that Harry? And then I would watch him. And I even knowing that Harry Douglas is not on this team, 60 pound Harry Douglas. Exactly. And so I was like, why is Harry Douglas absolutely owning like Leonard little right now for the Rams? Like what is Bryce Fisher too? He got Bryce Fisher a couple of times. Oh yeah. And, and so I was just like, Oh wait, no, that's Algie. That makes way more sense now. But he did not get moved like he was moving bodies. And so, you know, you mentioned the fullback. I, I think that Algie Crumpler also had a, a lot to do with really being able to seal some of these kind of wide zone lanes to let work done, just sprint straight to his landmark and, and hit the open field. Um, so that's our recap. 47, 17 Falcons. It was a blowout. Uh, we headed for the exits early in this one. It was right after I think the TJ Duckett touchdown and just people chanting in the hallways. I, I, you know, I have no idea. I can't remember what people were chanting at this point, probably like, let's go Falcons. Cause we don't have like a cool chant as like a fan base. Yeah. <laughs> there was no rise up back in 04. Yeah. There was no rise up, but yeah. even that like Maybe rise up, I don't know. Is that a chant? That's not like a war cry. Yeah, it's a, it's a hashtag. Um, not like Samuel L. Jackson I'll, was leading us all. <laughs> I would be cool back because remember it was the DVD days. It would have been cool if a DVD thing got started. I don't know how much it would have been. I don't know if it would have been a hit, but I just love the whole DVD concept. There's a chance. There's a chance that that was being chanted because this is yeah. in a lot of ways kind of like the ultimate yeah. um, DVD game. But a, a few key stats before we get into uh, a couple of topics that we have not yet touched on or want to just go a little bit uh, deeper onto. Six of Atlanta's nine drives uh, ended in score, five of which ended in a touchdown. So that's a lot of efficiency for a team. I don't know outside of the run game was always uh, considered to be that efficient. But then again, it was mostly the run game in this one. Uh, Atlanta's first punt did not come until two minutes and 40 seconds left in the third quarter. And this was the fourth best rushing effort in a playoff game. The Falcons ran for 327 yards uh, in this win, and it's also the most since 1995 uh, in a single playoff game in NFL history. So the game has changed, obviously, a lot since 1995. The Falcons still knew how to run the ball in 2004. Um, so let's start right there. It's, it's just kind of a, a big talking point um, about this game. Alan, what what were your overall thoughts on on just seeing the run game from kind of start to end and seeing, like you said, the DVD like this may have been peak DVD, even though I know was it 2005 when work done and Michael Vick both had a thousand yards. Was it five or six? Yeah, it just, I can't remember. I think it was five, but like that season ended on a real sour note. So right. that's why it's kind of forgotten about. Like to me, 04 was the peak just because the team was really good. And I also felt that was like prime TJ Duck. People forget how much a star, maybe not league wide, but like TJ Duck was a big deal in Atlanta. Like they played uh, the Ludacris song every time after a big run. I don't know if you noticed that <laughs> in Telcus. Every first star when you see her, move, you know, it's a family show. I won't repeat the rest. But uh, <laughs> it, it, he was a big, and I saw a crazy stat. Like he had 109 carries that year and only one of them went for negative yards. Like he was so hard to bring down. Like there was a fourth down where two Rams players should have brought him down and he just ran through them. 
So TJ Tucker was huge, and we know how good work done was in his prime. Like I know, Will, you mentioned uh, before as we were prepping this, like they compared to Brian Westbrook and Tiki Barber. And, you know, some people might think it's a little over the top, but no, when you look at their skill set, like work done was that good as a diverse playmaker. Like he, he was lethal out the backfield. It's just he didn't have to do much as a receiver because the Falcons were pretty much a run based team. And, you know, I don't remember Vic checking it down all that often. So maybe that was the reason why. But no, this run game was incredible. The offense line was such a well, a unified unit and things are just clicking but if i have to not to downplay it because i think the falcons did a incredible job but like you watch the rams defense like there was not a lot of gap discipline and you want to talk about atrocious tackling from secondary <laughs> it was bad like just the angles and like i still don't get how this day i want to slander but like am archuleta dan snyder i know he's done a lot of things in his life well, fortunately bad as well but like in terms of spending wise i don't understand how a team could have paid out an archuleta after that kind of performance like the whole ramp secondary like yeah work done made a nice move at duck it was a pain to bring down but there was just times where this the technique was atrocious aaron what'd you think about what was kind of the part of this run game that stood out to you was it work done um and also actually i'm hitting you right out out of the blue with this one is there a, a modern NFL version of work done in your eyes? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll pontificate as I think about it. Um, <laughs> I, the thing that always stood out to me about work done was his vision, like his ability to set up defenders on the second level to avoid the yep. hits, to basically be the exception to the rule of a 185 pound running back that wound up rushing for 10,000 yards. Like when you really break down work Dunn's career, like he is an outlier of all outliers. So it, it's hard to right. come up with a player that's like him because like there aren't 185 pound running backs, you know, starting games in the NFL in today's, you know, game. Like, you know, I, I'm I can't try, like his Austin Eckler. Maybe like he's yeah, a better receiver, obviously, but it's a different probably era. Probably the closest. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Go yeah, that's good. But and I yeah, think Matt I, Forte before him is always somebody who I thought about. But but yeah, like the backs are getting bigger and or they're becoming more specialized. Yeah, this running game was just like they were just firing on all cylinders. And and the thing about you know Allen building off Allen's point about this Rams team not being particular, like this was one of the worst playoff teams ever, right? Um, I I think they like they snuck in because somehow the Seahawks were just this terrible team that the Rams, I think, beat like three times or something ridiculous. They like they did something ridiculous sweeping the Seahawks. Beating the wildcard round, too. Yeah, yeah. They beat them like three times that year. Um, And and that was like the only reason why, like, but like with with the Falcons, I don't say that to take away from the Falcons. Like, this is what you want to see against inferior opponents where it's like you're a legit team to show going up against, obviously we saw them the next week against Philadelphia, who was the sort of the juggernaut in the NFC that year, but you wanted to see this Falcon team, you know, take down this, you know, inferior Rams team and just dominate them. And they just controlled the line of screen. We talked about the fullbacks, the tight ends, the offensive line, all the running backs, Michael Vick. It was just like, everything was firing on all cylinders for this running game. And obviously when you see the number 327, it's, it's very clear that like, you know, the Rams did pretty much nothing to stop the Falcons on the ground. Yeah. I, 327 is nice. A uh, couple more nice numbers work done. 17 carries 142 yards, which still remains the most uh, in most rushing yards in a single um, playoff game for Atlanta. He added two touchdowns, Michael Vick eight carries 119 yards, which stands as the second most 
rushing yards in a single playoff game for Atlanta. So they both um, jumped Jamal Anderson in the same game, which should highlight again, just how, how much things were rolling for them. And then, uh, you know, speaking of rolling TJ Duckett, 15 carries 66 yards and the nail in the coffin touchdown at the very end. I mean, like I said, I think that this was maybe the pinnacle in in at least a single game for sure, but maybe just what everything clicking DVD could look like. And obviously that involves the offensive line, which is why I wanted to say Atlanta's run game and not just Atlanta's, you know, runners. But yeah, th- this was this will be the game that people will point to and say, that's why you have to establish the run. It's like, all right, well, if every team could run for 330 yards, then yes, that's why you would establish the run. But but I I got an interesting question for both of you because when it comes to playoff memorable touchdown runs, because it's not coming to my mind, I think I know the answers, but I'm curious what do you think is like more memorable, the Duckett one or when Tevin Coleman against Green Bay pretty much just ran out the stadium? I mean, probably. Tevin Coleman because yeah that was against the the Packers yeah and and you know this was it was so out of hand kind of at this point Uh like the duck it was just cherry on the top um Uh whereas Tevin Coleman was maybe a little more but like that they they were obviously way in control of that Packers game anyway it's yeah Yeah. both were great for for great reasons (laughs) those like the two memorable touchdown runs that come to mind like in recent memory uh what what do you think Aaron no yeah I, I think I mean, the Duckett celebration uh, is memorable to me yep. because you see it on like highlight clips or whatever the case may be, putting nail in the coffin. So for that reason, like I don't remember what Tevin Coleman did to celebrate his touchdown. So for that, oh, he just ran out the stadium. Yeah, like, he, he just, just ran running. out. <laughs> there you go. So, but like uh, Michael Vick did that better against Minnesota, right? Oh, yeah, he did do that. Yeah, you're right. He just splits him uh, and he yeah. just keeps. Yeah, that was a yeah, yeah. So see that that was that was a copycat by Tevin Coleman. So oh. you know he's disqualified. Oh, yeah, originality <laughs> counts. That's right. Yeah. Um. So let's let's move on now to to Alan Rossum, who I think outside of the the DVD trio was the key Falcon in this game. Not as so much as a kick returner. He had eighty yards on on four returns. So that's you know twenty yards a, a return. Math major right here. Um, his three punt returns, 152 yards, 50.7 average, which was an NFL playoff game record. I mean, imagine just going 50 yards every time you touch the ball on a punt return, which your average for that is, is smallest among all of your return averages. Uh, Alan, I I know you love Alan Rossum, your, your namesake, uh, just talk, talk about your whole experience, uh, watching Alan Rossum as a Falcon. I think was, we talked about vision before. That was one of the things that really stood out with Alan Rossum. Like you rarely even saw many make mistakes. Like you knew when he was going to call fair catch, the right call. Because I think that's just one of the biggest things with returns. It's just what's your decision making like. And I just feel like mm-hmm. Alan Rossum was always on point. And I also want to give credit later in the game. He had to come in that corner. And Alan Rossum was never a good corner, but like that's what wasn't a specialty. But I give him respect for being able to fill in. I think Kevin Mathis got banged up in the fourth quarter, and he came in and played nickel corner. Yeah. So. Al Rossum was just like a true team player. And I just think always like when you got into open field, you knew something electric was going to happen. And for whatever reason, like I think he tends to get forgotten about. And I, I don't quite know why. I think maybe because he was just in that era of Dante Hall. And Dante Hall was literally before Devin Hester, Dante Hall was like the human highlight reel. So maybe that's why he gets forgotten about. But 
Mian Rossum just always consistent, just someone that provide that danger. And that's something I think the Falcons have lacked for a long time, just having that threat back there that teams have to account for. And Aaron, I know that you are a big fan, obviously, of, of explosive plays. And, and we could have talked about this at any point in the show because one every three times the Falcons touch the ball, I feel like there was an explosive play. But <laughs> yeah. getting them from your punt return team is is an uncommon way to get an explosive play. But I mean, how much did you enjoy seeing that come from the third unit on the field? Because it really did seemingly change the outcome of this game pretty early for the Falcons. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's one of those things where like it's so important, you know, even though we just talked about how the Rams weren't very good, but like it's one of those things that you want to see this type of production from a team, particularly in January, because it, it really does like once you start looking at it, like the more explosive plays you you generate against the quality opponents, the better you're gonna be. And the thing about Alan Rossum was, and, and the thing, you know, he joined the team a couple of years earlier when Dan Quint, I mean, Dan Reeves, uh, RIP, uh, was still the coach. And the thing I loved about Dan Reeves, and I think it was in part due to the fact that Joe D. Camillus was his son-in-law, like they always invested in special teams players. And like, that's why the Falcons always had good special teams. Like, I think one of the common mistakes I think a lot of fans make when it comes to special teams is they just sort of assume like, oh, anybody can play special teams and it, you just throw whoever's left out there. But it's just like offense or defense, like the more talent you put on special teams, the better your special teams is going to be. And with mm-hmm. Alan Rossum being one of the top punt returners and kick returners in the league at the time, as Alan has said, like it led to, you know, exactly this where the Falcons always seem to have good special teams uh, during this era, and it really came to the forefront in this game. It it almost felt a little bit like in in seeing Mark Bolger out there play, like the Falcons were playing a young Matt Ryan um, in, in some degree, like tough, kind of could make all the throws, could really put the the ball on the money when he needed to. Unfortunately, I think Mark Bolger just kept getting let down by a lot of his receivers. He was making some great throws. He was making some great decisions. Uh, and And then on top of that, getting getting beaten up, but real quickly, you know, Aaron, I know you've got a little bit of a story, I guess about Mark Bolger or, or fun factoid I yeah, guess, yeah. that you want to share with us. Yeah. Mark Bolger is a Pittsburgh native. And so during this time while I'm in school, like I had a roommate who used to work at one of the gyms or whatever. And so in the off season, he would come to Pittsburgh uh, and work out at these gyms and like, he would like report back to us on like what different things that Mark Bulger was doing with his like rehab or whatever. Cause you're right. He was constantly like getting hurt during this time or, or whatever the case may be. So it was just fun. Like, you know, Mark Bulger like was like three blocks down the street working out sometimes. Or whatever. <laughs> so Eric was uh, sending scouting reports over to Ed, Ed Donatel for, uh, yeah. for these, this game. Is that, that what you're saying? Yeah. There you go. Damn, Will, you got Aaron to talk about special teams and pit in like a five-minute sequence. <laughs> perfect, um, perfect storm. It's what they come here for. Um, all right, let's let's uh, just move on to to kind of our, our next and maybe last topic uh, before we get on to some categories. But Jim Mora, I, I we haven't really talked much about the coach. We've talked about, I think, the job the coaching staff has done. But Jim Mora, his first season with, with the Falcons was a big success. Obviously, you know, Michael Vick has... A lot to do with that. Obviously, a lot of the the coaches around Jim Mora, a first time head coach, had a lot to do with that. But wh- what were your thoughts on? I guess I'll ask this, you know, twice. Jim Mora at, at this time, kind of after this game, did you think that 
okay, like the Falcons made the the right decision moving on from Dan Reeves. You know, even though he took him to the Super Bowl, like they need somebody in here with new ideas, see the game in a new way, pair him with Michael Vick, all of that stuff. Coming off of this this win, you're thinking, holy crap, like the Falcons really could could have something going here for the next little while. So how'd you feel after that? And then I want you to to fast forward. And Alan, I guess we'll start with you. The end of the Jim Mora era, just just three short years later. Um, what were your feelings seeing all of it come to a close? I was big on Jim Moore. I just loved his fiery spirit. He was someone I was very vocal now. I did too. I was 11 years old. Maybe it's because, yeah, yeah like, we were it, kids. We just, the, yeah, he was what a football coach should be. <laughs> exactly. So that's why I don't know. How, I'm trying to give a logical, analytical opinion here without sounding like a you know, we don't want your logic. Like, we don't I, want your analytics. This is a gut yeah, feel so, kind of thing. Yes, yeah, so gut feeling. I enjoyed the hell. Of it. I really like Jim Moore. I had high hopes <laughs> for him. I, I also just like the fact that he came from that type of family. Even though, ironically, Jim Moore is senior playoffs, never won a playoff game, but uh, it was cool to see just have that family lineage. I took a lot of respect to that. And I just like it. Just something about the like young swagger. I don't know. I just felt like Jim Moore. You walked around, junior walked around with such confidence, and felt like the team was really behind them. Fast forward to 06, those last two months were dark. Like, he's obviously the whole Washington radio interview, talking about how he wanted to take a job. And, uh, you know, the, uh, I think the Jim Moore Sr. calling Vic a coach killer. And, like, I remember seeing a game. I think they played Washington. It was, like, one of the last games they won that 06 season. And you just saw, like, Vic and Jim Moore just walking out. And you could just tell the relationship was kind of broken. And to be fair, Vic, you know, as we know, had a lot going on in his life at the time. So it, it was really unfortunate how things kind of crumbled because like, that 04 team I thought was special. And I thought Jim Moore Jr., like, I just liked his passion for the game. And I just thought you know, everyone was behind him. Like, I know Donatel called the defense, so I'm not sure what exactly Moore did when that came. Like, obviously, he came from a defensive background, but I'm not sure how much influence he had on the defense. But, mm-hmm. like, that team was behind him in 04. There's no doubt about it. And I think the whole city was behind him. And just, it's crazy. Like, two years later, here he is, just kind of making a mockery and ultimately i think people couldn't wait for him to go i think by the time he did the interview it was pretty much it and i, and I think they lost that awful carolina game on christmas eve and it was just like all right this team this organization needs to start fresh yeah what i would say i, I had always had a soft spot for jim moore and still to this day i have a soft spot for jim moore i loved his energy this was back during where he was doing the smelling sorts before the game to, to sort of wake his <laughs> stuff up and, and, and get energized. That. Oh, um, he looked wide awake. Yeah. Um, I think he stopped doing this in like 05. Like I think once the Falcons started losing in 05 in the second January half of the season. January 1st, 05. Is, <laughs> he laid out the <laughs> and then he comes out and puts a 40 to... <laughs> um, but like, yeah, like I, I still have a soft spot for Jim Moore. I, you know, I liked him when, you know, I rooted for him when he was at US, UCLA. I rooted for him oh, wow. uh, when he was, I was hoping he would, you know, prove all all his doubters wrong when he had that one year in Seattle uh, as the coach before Pete Carroll got there. I liked him on NFL Network. I still, to this day, have a soft spot for Jim Moore. I, you know, I still, you know, because of that, I, I think he was being sarcastic in that Washington radio interview, but you know, obviously Arthur Blank didn't think so. So, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, he's ultimately, were, I think they were on like a three game losing best. streak. When that happened, I think they were on like a three game losing streak. They lost that game to new Orleans when D'Angelo Hall did D'Angelo Hall things, try to intercept that Hail Mary and it went through his hands. And I think it ended up in, I don't know, Dante Stoller, someone's hands. And like, like they were on a three game losing streak. Like you can't, this isn't a time to be sarcastic on a radio station. Like, ah, uh. yeah. And, yeah. and I, I, 
obviously I have no idea for a fact because I was 11 years old at the time, but just knowing yeah. what we know about, about Arthur Blanket, it could have been a little bit of, all right, you're in this to save your own job type of deal. And like, you've got three games. We're still in a playoff hunt. We make the playoffs. All's forgiven. You know, we'll see you next year and, and just clean your act up. And then seeing how the team really did kind of just get away from, from Jim Mora. Didn't look focused. Didn't look, it looked like he wanted to be somewhere else, which the team looked like they wanted to be somewhere else. And I think that that was kind of all uh, the owner needed to see. So Aaron, I'm just going to ask you, uh, is Jim Moore to blame for Bobby Petrino? No, Rich McKay's to blame for Bobby Petrino. <laughs> all right. Yes. Alan, same question. Rich McKay, where guys are. Yeah. I blame Rich McKay for that. The, all right. The, I'm, I'm abstaining rich. If you, <laughs> if you are somehow listening, uh, <laughs> I like Rich McKay then. I I'm like Rich McKay too, one. but that is yeah. definitely a black guy on his record. <laughs> he he done messed up that. I feel like we kind of have covered some of the other player topics just in, in our general conversation. So let's fast forward to some quick talk about the broadcast itself. The uh the play by play of this game is is Dick Stockton. Uh the uh, analyst for today's game or back then <laughs> was Daryl Johnson uh or Johnston. And then the sideline reporter, Tony Siragusa. Uh, let's just start off, you know, recently passed away. It was really, really fun seeing Tony Siragusa back on the sideline for this game because I really f- forgot how much he just looked like a local guy you would find at your like pizzeria down the street, just like talking about football and what he read in the local paper. And he really brought like that kind of charm, I think, to the to the game. So, you know, Alan, what 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 were your thoughts Seeing Tony Siragusa, you know, being a New York guy, I feel like you get a lot more Siragusas up in, in New York than yeah. you do down here in Atlanta. <laughs> um, so what do you think of him as a sideline reporter? He's such a lovable figure and he just you know, he brought that charisma that which you want to see. I just found it always impressive, like even the game as he was criticizing the Rams for their lack of discipline and you know, not knowing their gaps, like he still made it cheerful. Like even when he was being critical, he made it entertaining and I think it's so rare because like we get so wrapped up like if a team is doing something wrong just like, how could they be doing this how are they not making adjustments like you know, we get really critical and annoyed by Saragusa just making jokes about it. he was just like oh I think the umpire needs to put a helmet on and fill in that gap like who does that like it's just, it's just brilliant <laughs> so uh, I think Saragusa is just one of a kind and he brought a lot to the table and you know, I hope you know, the years to come you know, obviously we, all, we want everyone to be their original selves but if we can have someone that you know can really just get the task of being critical, but kind of doing an uplifting, encouraging way, I think that would be kind of cool. Uh, I think maybe Booger tried, but... Like I was I said, about to bring up... Yeah. Oh, I, I uh, No, no, <laughs> no, that's like perfect because I was I was trying to think of like who else yeah. would, would even be like that. And it's like, yeah, they tried to do with Booger McFarland, but... but He's he just goofy, that was a problem. Yeah, you can't match Tony Syracuse. Yeah. yeah, Aaron, you were obviously older at, at the time when he was really kind of, I think, prominent. What were your thoughts of, of Tony Syracuse on the sidelines? Yeah, Tony Sergusa, pit legend, by the way. Just gotta throw that out there. Oh, man. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, this was this was Moose and Goose. Uh, you know, Daryl Johnson, uh, Moose, and, and Tony Sergusa, uh, Goose. This was kind of like their, I think their second or third year working together. So like this is them in their infancy. But like even then, early on, like you could see like the chemistry that they had. Uh, and and you know, Tony Sergusa, as Alan put it, like you know, giving you analysis, but doing it in an entertaining way. Like, you know, you, you, we joke after the Cam Newton line about him being an entertainer and an icon, but like, I really do think Tony Siragusa 
sort of embodied that with sort of what he brought to the field in terms of his analysis and what he would do uh, in these uh, broadcasts. He was sorry. He was just made for social media. I'm thinking about Terry Siragusa. If he, if he, there was social media back then. Could you imagine? Oh, oh yeah. my God! A segment just called "The Goose Is Loose," and he's like <laughs> just doing all sorts of TikToks and stuff before uh, before the games. One hundred percent. Aaron, you mentioned the analysis, but early on, really talking about how Michael Vick was even more dangerous than kind of some of the other best players in the league who were maybe at his level level athletically because he just had the ball all the time. And it kind of makes you think, all right, so, you know, why are people out here trying to turn Lamar Jackson into a running back? Or why are we taking the best player and turning them into a wide receiver or doing wildcat or something like that? You know, like if you have your best athlete just with the ball in his hands all the time, granted, Michael Vick is maybe the best dual threat quarterback in terms of his passing ability on top of his amazing running ability. So not everybody could do that, but I thought that was a really smart point and kind of showed where football was going to go where tailor your offense, maybe around a Lamar Jackson or a Kyler Murray, instead of trying to hone them in, like use their athleticism to elevate the rest of the offense. So I, I thought that that was a little bit of a nuanced take at the time in 2004, when everybody was trying to pigeonhole quarterbacks into your, you know, Peyton Manning archetype, your John Elway archetype, like that type of player. Um, any other analysis throughout this game that you guys thought was pretty sharp considering it was 2004? I was curious, Will, like, uh, obviously I know you were 11, but you know, from the live experience, like where were your seats? And like, I don't know, do you remember any memorable angles from your view? Yeah, I, I definitely, I remember we were, I, again, I'm trying, I think we were opposite the Falcons because the Falcons would always come out on, on kind of their, the home left one and all the pyrotechnics, all that stuff. And that was when they would actually oh, yeah. like bring the players out one-on-one and they would introduce like the offense and do them oh, what, but now right. it's kind of, they've kind of gotten a little bit back to that. But during the Dan Quinn era, he wanted the team to like run out as one unit. And it kind of took away from the hell's bells of it all that they used to play mm-hmm. um, coming out and just getting everybody totally amped up. But yeah, I, I was lower level kind of maybe 20 seats up over the opposing tunnel uh, on, on one of the corners of the end zone. So I think the Michael Vick run down the sideline, like on the first drive, uh, I think if I recall correctly, a lot of the Falcons touchdowns were unfortunately on the other side of the field, but I, I mean, I will remember that game until I die, like just being there, being in the atmosphere. was so cool. Um, It's one of my favorite that and the Michael Vick Panthers game where he dove across the end zone um, and Legendary. then they reviewed it and then they went into overtime and then they won. And that was on, I think a Saturday, I think it was like Christmas, the day after Christmas or something or the day before. I remember Christmas. it was a Saturday night. I remember ESPN Saturday night. Cause yeah. I just remember Julius Peppers chasing Michael Vick everywhere. That's just all I remember. <laughs> from that just like two of the best in the sport. Just go like, the it was just like a freakiest big freaks in, in the sport. Of yeah. That. Yeah. 100%. Um, and then, you know, I, I know if anybody wants to go watch this on YouTube and I apologize to you guys, I think it's a foreign stream. So there's some weird techno music as people are tailgating in the parking lot. And then they're showing the, like just fast forward two and a half minutes and, and you'll get to the good stuff. Um, I think outside of that, just music, old school music, uh, D 12 Lincoln park. I know you noted that Alan. Um, it, it wasn't, we've done some really good broadcast games. This was just a good, I think straightforward broadcast. So let's move to our, our last little section, which are the categories. And we will, uh, 
blow through these and, and just talk about anything that really comes to, uh, to strike you as, as something deserving, or if there's anything here that has not been listed and you feel is deserving, feel free to shout it out. So up first, we've got the, uh, the can't do that anymore award, which is of course something that you can no longer do because the NFL game and probably us as a society have evolved. Um, so on, on one of Alan Rossum's big returns, I think it's his second big return. There's clearly like a block in the back that kind of doesn't get called because it's iffy at the time. But nowadays it's one of those classic, like when there's an interception and a receiver turns into a, or a defender turns into a blocker and just cracks the hell out of a receiver kind of coming back up field to make a tackle. Definitely can't do that anymore. Uh, Mark Bulger getting crushed kind of blindside wise by Brady Smith. It was a clean hit and I'm going to be on the record about that, but it feels like something that if Grady Jarrett had done 15 yeah. flags would have been on the field. Um, and then the, the last one, which, uh, which you noted here, Alan, uh, Ed Jasper got away with a, uh, a hit to the knee on Bulger, which yeah, would definitely be a 15 yard penalty um, in today's game. There weren't as many blatant, just kind of, egregious helmet to helmet shots or anything like that um, in this one, probably because of the running. But of those three, Aaron, which uh, which one gets the the pick for you? Probably you're probably right with the Brady Smith uh, hit on, on Mark Balter. That's probably definitely getting flagged. So that, that's probably my pick. Alan, what about you? Yeah, I got to go with the same one. That would just it would just pretty evident. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, this would not go well. <laughs> The strike zone shrinks the uh, the harder you hit the quarterback. So um, that is a unanimous pick for us. So congratulations, uh, Brady Smith. You can no longer do that. Um, the most 2004 thing about this game, there is a uh, tsunami relief effort fundraising message in, uh, in the broadcast. So obviously that's a tragic um, example here, but it did happen in 2004. So we're <laughs> counting it. Um, the Rams using a challenge on Mike Vick's touchdown pass to Peerless Price and losing that challenge. Of course, you can no longer do that because which could have gone in the last category, honestly, but eh, whatever. I'm trying to fill out certain categories here. Uh, so that one, um, they, they call a challenge. They, they lose it because nowadays that would be automatically reviewed. Um, Alan, Mike Martz having no interest in getting tight ends involved in the passing game. That certainly is a, is a Mike Mart staple. Uh, the apparel for both teams, Reebok being the uh, sponsor of the NFL at this time. Certainly, I feel like the uniforms themselves weren't too bad because the Rams are a little classic because of that um, greatest show on turf era. And then these Falcons, I didn't ever mind the Michael Vick era kind of uniforms for Atlanta, uh, especially the black, the all blacks were, were yeah, so sweet to me. Nice. But the, the sideline apparel was rough. Um, none, of, none of the Reebok, like, swag that they made the sweatpants the hats the like hoodies the people just, it all looked pretty dated especially now um and then again you know we mentioned the music that they would cut to commercial break with definitely of the time and then i wrote this last one down seeing a, a full frown or full crowd at a falcons game is, is a very 2004 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought. See, I, I thought Aaron just Aaron just had to put that in. <laughs> Alan, we'll we'll start with you this time. What uh, what's well, your this pick? Is, this is a very tough one. Uh, I'm gonna go with the ch the challenge just because I remember so many bad challenges back in the day. Like growing up as a kid, I just couldn't believe this coach threw a challenge flag, and I just remember like even Andy Reid. We all love Andy Reid, but Andy Reid was notorious for just just egregious challenges, and I just thought. <laughs> 
Mike Martz there. I just didn't understand why. Like it was clearly a touchdown. So I'll go with that one. Aaron? Yeah, I had the same pick. Like when I saw watching it and seeing the red flag on the field, I'm like, what is what is happening? Like, how are you doing this? <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, this is how it used the rules used to be. So yeah, that was the thing that sort of stood out to me. Like I was just like baffled by like, why, why, why are you challenging this? This is weird. You, all touchdowns are automatically reviewed and I'm like, oh, it's 2004. That's, that's obviously a great pick. I'm just going to stick with the apparel and I'm going to cheat and I'm going to actually expand this out to the crowd to just all, every time they shot to the crowd and, and seeing what people had on was, was kind of a blast from the past. And I was in that crowd. Uh, unfortunately they didn't pan over to me, but I'm sure that I was wearing something crazy as well. So this is a new category that we've added for this one. Um, the top call out of an old show or movie because Fox was promoting certainly in the second half of this game. Um, they had an all new episode of 24 coming up on Monday. This of course was on Saturday. So two days from then, then the two hour season premiere of American Idol on Tuesday night. And right after this game, you could catch an episode of mad TV. So of those three, what's your favorite old TV or movie call out? I'm going to go with 24. I, I want to say this was like peak 24. I think it was like the, I, it was either the first or second season, I think of 24. So I'm, I'm trying to look it up right now. It's peak, like it's November peak 24. 2001. Okay. So yeah, this is, this okay. is like 24. So okay. um, yeah. that's, that's my pick right there. This is when 24 was like must watch TV. That's a great pick. Alan? I love Matt TV. I just have to go with Matt TV. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going with the foolish humor. I just remember Matt TV and always enjoying it. Wow. I did not see, I did not see that one coming. Um, Bob, long live Bobby Lee. I remember Bobby Lee was on. <laughs> Bobby Lee. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I am going to... I'm I'm going uh I'm going to go with American Idol. We're going to we're going to split go. this one three ways. We had to do it. <laughs> we did. We have to do it. Um I believe is uh, I think is Randy Jackson no, I, still going. Yeah, Randy it's it's, it's still the it's still Paula, it's still Simon, it's Randy. This was only their third season, I think. Um and I think Carrie Underwood wins in season 4. So we've yet to reach Carrie Underwood, so this is a good time for American Idol. This um, is what Fantasia Burrito? I think it's Fantasia Burrito. Uh, what about William Hung? <laughs> you know, I heard that Ricky Martin song recently. So it goes, that's William Hung's song. I'm like, oh, like, damn, he kind of made it bigger. <laughs> well, that's not to make two office references on one podcast, but I love that bit where uh, Todd Packer has uh, like WL Hung oh, on his license classic. plate as Vanny played. And it's supposed to be, you know, well hung. And it's everybody's like, oh, you're a big William Hung fan. He's like, why does everybody always ask me that? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, if Aaron can make pit references all the time, we can make office references. There, there we go. go. Um, all right, let's do the uh, the best broadcast moments. Um, we had Don't Miss Paul McCartney in the AmeriQuest Mortgage Super Bowl 34 halftime show. And this was actually the year of Super Bowl 39. So just a lot of, that's a really rich sentence right there. Um, I, I love this line from Dick Stockton, who had a gr- he just had a great, great night of lines. Um, Michael Vick is only averaging 28 yards per carry. Uh, that came after the first quarter. Mm-hmm. You better have TiVo, Daryl Johnson said, talking about 24. Uh, so TiVo could have, I mean, that whole line could have gone uh, in, the, in the most 2004 thing. Uh, the aforementioned Dick, to- Dick Stockton line uh, that uh, Aaron brought up, if this was a fight, they'd stop it. 
And then Alan, you threw this one in here. Uh, the Rams got Seahawks disease and can't hang on to the ball, which I think was probably a dig at the wild card game um, the week yeah. before, which they lost. But of those uh, five choices, which one do you like, Alan? I'm going to go with the TiVo one just because I barely recall TiVo, but it just <laughs> brings me back to 2004. I'm just like, wow. Yeah, TiVo, that was actually a thing. So, yeah, I'll go with that. Aaron? Um, yeah, Dick Stockton had some zingers in this one. I, I do like the Michael Vick is only averaging 28 yards per carry. That, that, is, a, that is a good one. I, I think I'm going to go with that one as well. That's, that's really some good wit at, at that point. Um, and, and they needed it. So, all right. Let's go to the, uh, the most nostalgic moment or player. Uh, first up, we've got the Michael Vick to Algie Crumpler touchdown pass in the first quarter, which was huge. Um, TJ Duckett putting the nail in the coffin after his touchdown, just seeing him kind of get back in the end zone. And then, of course, the uh, end zone celebration. Just seeing uh, a, a vintage DVD game I wrote down because it's not one player, but it, it was a big moment, I think. And, and really just seeing that, hey, maybe we have like the best offense in the league. Uh, that, that felt good for all of a week. And then, um, <laughs> Alan Rossum who, who gets I, to your point, Alan, I think overlooked as a returner in kind of the annals of history. And, and I'm not really sure why, because he ranks right up there among some of the very best. So which one really kind of hit you guys in the feels and, and brought back some nostalgia, uh, Aaron, we'll start with you. It was the TJ Duckett putting a nail in the coffin because that's, you know, my memory is notoriously bad. Alan's got the good memory uh, in this dynamic <laughs> duo. And I just like forget everything. Like, you know, when you guys brought up the Tevin Coleman touch, I'm like, I don't really remember that. But like, um, it, it, you know, that was one of the plays that the Ducket putting a nail in a coffin was one of the things like, oh, yeah, that's one of the things that I, I remember most from this game. Alan? I, I got quick. I got to make a quick uh old school reference here. The reason Aaron, you don't remember that is because remember we had Will on our podcast after the Falcons Packers game and you went on a three minute tangent about Aaron, Matt Ryan fest, Aldrick Robinson that had no impact on the game. You threw, a, you threw a bomb. It was the greatest Falcons sports ever. Yeah, Aaron for three minutes had to analyze why Matt Ryan threw the double coach Aldrick Robinson. I forgot, I forgot that was Will. Will. I forgot that was Will. Will. Yeah, Will was on it. I think Will, this might have been your first or second time on the podcast, but like of course Aaron will, he won't remember, remember. Tevin Coleman but he'll remember one questionable Matt Ryan throw in the most dominant, beautiful Falcon game ever. But I, I digress. Yeah, I, I, I it's got to be Duckett. Like I, I, I love the Vic the Crumpler touchdown because I thought it was a really well thrown ball by Vic and just brought back fond memories. But now nah, that Duckett celebration, it was just it was just like a cool moment. And like I said before, I think TJ Duckett in his prime, maybe he was a national star, but in Atlanta, he was a big deal and everyone loved him. Well, I'm I'm very happy for TJ Duckett. I, I feel like the right answer here is is Algie Crumpler, uh, Michael to Algie Crumpler, just because, like I said, I you know I, I played tight end in high school, so growing up, I was always like Algie Crumpler was someone. I actually interviewed Algie Crumpler when I was a kid in sixth grade as oh, part of like a school awesome. um, project, and then Michael Vick was obviously my favorite player ever as, as a kid. So um, just seeing seeing that connection again was was really great. Uh, all right. So this is a, a new one inspired by our, our friend, Mike Rothstein, um, who came up with this idea on the last one, but it's the time machine. Who would you want to pull from this game into the current version of the NFL? Um, I think there's only one answer here, but we've got Michael Vick, uh, and then we've got TJ Duckett as our two 
um, submitted nominees. Alan, let's start with you first. Which one? I mean, it has to be Michael Vick. I just want to throw <laughs> Duck in there because I just want to see more big running backs to the league. Like, uh, thankfully, AJ Dillon and Derek Henry are holding it down. There's probably a few other powerhouse running backs, but nah, it just got to be Vick. Vick was must-see, human highly real. It would have been crazy to see him with, you know, insert Andy Reid or Mike or Kyle Shannon. I want to Mike Shannon, Jesus. Uh, Kyle Shannon or Sean McVay. Like, see Michael Vick with a real mastermind. You know, technically, we did see him with Andy Reid. So, what am I talking about? Yeah. But, like, seeing Vick with a real, like, one of these new modern age offenses would be amazing. So, Aaron, I know assuming Arthur Michael. Smith, yeah, Michael Vick's the correct answer. Well, Arthur, no, Arthur, Smith. Arthur Smith would definitely choose TJ Duckett. Uh, as his choice to, <laughs> if he could kidnap somebody from you know this game to bring to uh, oh today because that would be oh, his man. guy because he just wants you know to be you know power football all that stuff but yeah Vic Vic is the go. correct answer um, you know ahead of his time as you said Will like back in the day where teams were trying to square peg him and like you, you understood the vision that the Falcons were trying to do to turn Michael Vick mm-hmm. into Steve Young. And, you know, I don't think Vic was at a mature part of his life and his career to really embrace that. And only after all the trials and tribulations that he went through and going to Andy Reid in Philadelphia, did he start to do a little bit more of that stuff uh, at that point in time and start to live up a little bit more to his potential as a passer and be more of that consistent. We saw flashes here in Atlanta, but it was just never consistent uh, in that regard. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely the guy that I think you, you bring to the modern time to see what modern offenses can cook up with him. Yeah. And this is, um, my pick as well. It was a, it was a weird Vic game because obviously, you know, he had two, t- two passing touchdowns. He only threw for 82 yards. Granted, a lot of has to do with the, the game script that Atlanta had. He was pretty efficient for his standards, 12 of 16. Um, but yeah, that outside of the one game with Andy Reed, where they played Washington and I was fortunate enough to have him on my fantasy football team that night. Uh, and he, what was it? Seven touchdowns in that, in that game, six touchdowns, seven touchdowns. But that was, I think peak Michael Vick. This may, uh, certainly I think the second peak was in Atlanta and probably like second through 10 were, were in Atlanta, but we just never felt like maybe he reached that mountaintop here in Atlanta of, of his caliber of play, even though at times he got pretty close to, you know, flying near the sun, um, in terms of his ability. So let's go to, we've got two left. Uh, best stretch of the game. This one, this one, there, there are a few good ones uh, because it was such an entertaining game. Alan, you, you wrote down first, uh, Michael Vick's touchdown to Peerless Price, followed then by Rod Coleman's sack um, to force the three and out. Then Alan Rossum uh, with a 45 yard return. Finally, all wrapped up with, uh, with Jason Webster's interception in the third quarter. All of that happened in the third quarter. Might I convince you though, to, uh, to include the Rams hilarious beginning to the third quarter uh, where they drop the, the opening kickoff and then totally go three and out and just drop an easy third and two. Yeah. Poor Steven. I think he played with the Patriots randomly at the end of his career, but I got, that might've been like the only time Steven Jackson played in a playoff game. When you think about it. Which, yeah. Damn. That's sad. Cause you know, we're that all is, pro Steven Jackson here. We love Steven Jackson, but uh, that is sad. yeah, that was, that was like I said, I just, you know, we're talking about social media, like, man, could you have imagined that game, you know, Falcons Twitter at its peak, like the amount of special teams matters tweets that really came out from that game. Because, like this was the game where special teams matters. Like it was just ridiculous. Like the amount of mistakes the Rams made. Like I think at one point there was also a false start. Like things got really 
out of whack in the second half. And I remember Kevin Curtis had a bad drop. So yeah, that third quarter, everything went off the rails for them. So the so the opening stretch of that third quarter is is a candidate. Um, the entire first quarter, I think, is is pretty well when it's uh, fourteen to seven, um, and both offenses are moving the ball really well uh, at that point. Also, we've got the Keith Brookings sack followed by the Falcons kind of pinning them down in the five, followed by Brady Smith uh, murdering Mark Bulger. That's another candidate. And then the final one is Atlanta's last drive, which eight ten minutes off the clock had featured a, uh, a work done absolutely taking a dude out of his cleats, uh, which didn't count, but it's fine. We got to do it over again. And then TJ Duckett scored his memorable touchdown. So of those four, Aaron, which one uh, are you going with? I'm going to go with the first quarter. Uh, all of these are great uh, candidates for this, but like just getting off to the fast start that we saw in that first quarter, at both teams just scored Back and forth, the Vic scramble, the Kevin Cordes touchdown, the the Dunn run, all those various things. So that's that's my pick. Alan, I'm going to stick with my pick. I think the Vic touchdown at Price was a cool moment, and then Rod Coleman with the big third down sack, and then because I think it, it showcased all three units. Because then you had the roster return. I know the offense. I think they had a three and out uh, during that stretch, but then you know Jason Webster, who I don't know Jason Webster, I feel like is the epitome of the Falcons defense in a nutshell like you know the whole bend don't break like i feel like there was a lot of bending moments with jason webster he never quite broke like he was competitive in a lot of instances like he wasn't a total liability like we've seen falcon corners that were major liabilities i always thought jason webster kind of held his own even though probably shouldn't have been a starter but he, he gave his best effort so i'm gonna go with that just i think we saw all three units shine in that moment I'm going to agree with you there, Alan. I, I think that that was, it's really good, like well-rounded play and kind of during the quarter when things really started to swing Atlanta's way. Um, so if you're going to check out maybe one part of this game, um, maybe make it that one. That brings us to our, our last award of the night, the uh, MVP award, the Matt Ryan award, as we have nicknamed it here for obvious reasons, three candidates, Michael Vick, Alan Rossum, work done. Alan, we'll start with you first. This was really hard. Like all three are very strong choices. I'm gonna give this. Uh, I'm gonna go with Vic because I think what they we didn't talk about is there could have been at least four sacks that uh, just through whether it was blitzing or I think whether it was Garza. I think Garza had a couple of breakdowns, but like Vic, his legs. I think they showed a stat that like 40 yards he could have lost on sacks, and he turned it into like 65 rushing yards. So I just think even though Vic had a couple of wonky throws for the most part. He played a fantastic game, and he made the Rams pay a lot on those bootlegs as well. So I'm going to give him the slight edge over Alan Rossum. Aaron, your MVP? Special teams matter, so uh, Alan Rossum. There we go. We're we're splitting. We're splitting the MVP. I'm going work done. Okay. man. The man ran for more rushing yards in a single playoff game than any other Falcon and scored two touchdowns and should have scored three. So... Yeah, it was a great. I game think the only reason right I knocked I knocked Ward done just because the tackling was so atrocious. Like I feel like Ward done didn't have to hit. I, I feel like he didn't have to hit his like third gear because the tackling was so bad. But <laughs> thank God it's for a great the Rams, pick, huh? Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know if I'm exaggerating, but just some of those plays, you're just like, oh, this is not ideal. All right. So before we wrap things up, uh, Aaron has been kind enough to include a trivia question in our doc here that. Neither uh, Alan or I have been able to or have researched. We're coming into this blind. Um, but Aaron, go ahead and ask your uh, your fun trivia question for the listeners and for us as well. 
So Allen Rossum in this game had 232 combined return yards, uh, which currently ranks uh, fifth highest in NFL history in a playoff game. Uh, two other Falcons rank in the top 11. Can you name them? And for bonus points, there are two former Falcons. So they did this when they weren't in a Falcons uniform, but did at one point in their careers play for the Atlanta Falcons. They rank 12 and 13th on this all-time list. And uh, the hint for one of those former Falcons is he did it against the Falcons in a playoff game. So who are the two other Falcons that rank in the top 11? And then you can get to bonus points. Who are the two former Falcons? I know one immediately. Who is it? Devin Hester against the Falcons in that playoff game in 2017. That is, yes, that is the former Falcon. He had 194 yards. He got off the couch and just lit him up. (laughs) (laughs) Playing for the Seahawks in the 2016 playoffs. 194 combined uh, return yards. He's number 12, by the way. I want to say, and this is going to sound so weird if I'm wrong, um, but I'm just thinking back to that uh, 2011 season when they were the one seed and just got smoked by the Packers. Did Eric, didn't Eric Weems have a big kickoff return for a touchdown in that game? And I have to assume then he just got a couple of other things in there. Is Eric Weems on this list? Eric Weems is one of the two Falcons. He is Heck number yeah. 11 with 195 yards against that Packers uh, team in that, you know, 2011 disappointment. We, we don't have to talk place. anymore about it, but <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they had a lot of kickoffs in that game. Yeah. <laughs> they did. Yes, they did. Um, <laughs> Oh, who would be the other? I mean, it, like yeah. obvious choices would be Billy White Shoes or Dion or somebody along those lines. I don't know. Alan, you got another guess? It's Tim Dwight, who had 210 uh, combined return yeah. yards against the Broncos in the Super Bowl. Oh, man, that's another forgettable game. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Do you have any guess who the other former Falcon is other than Devin Hester? This is obscure, so you will not be JD McKissick. Did he score in that game, the Seattle Atlanta game in the playoffs? Hester, I think he play. scored, but it got called back, I think. No, Hester, I'm talking McKissick, because McKissick was on that team, I think. Uh, I don't I don't know if he scored. Yeah, I know he signed there after the Falcons. Um, yeah, at least him. I don't know if he. Hey, that game was positive memories for him. So. <laughs> Brooks, the so do, you, do you give up on this uh, former Falcon? I give up. I have no idea. It's Roel Preston, who had 194 yards with the Packers against the 49ers in the 1998 playoffs. Roel Preston was a backup receiver for the Falcons, like in their mid 90s. And Will, we were five years old, yeah. right? <laughs> you, I think you were probably like. Zero years Probably old like when Roel Preston two. played for Falcons. Probably. All right. Well, uh, Roel and on. <laughs> um, do you guys have any final thoughts on this game before I let you go after what has been a very long but very fun, I think, conversation? Alan, any final yeah, thoughts? We covered everything. I wanted to get the bootlegs mentioned in there because I feel like the Falcons were averaging like 10 yards a play on those bootlegs. Uh, no, this, That'd be nice yeah. to see again. Oh, it would be wonderful. You hear that, Arthur Smith? But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, no, this was an awesome game, and I'm glad we did because I feel like 
the recent playoff games that we kind of remember vividly, this was something where it's like, oh, I want to remember a couple of the plays. Because I, I, I do remember the big runs, but I don't necessarily remember the defensive moments. And there was a lot of good ones. And then you got to love the special team stuff. So this was really cool to watch back on. And yeah, that 4 Falcons team was special. I know the, the NFC title game was a pretty big letdown looking back on it. But overall, this was a really good I'll let you in. I, I cried. I cried like a baby hey, after that next game. Me too. Um, <laughs> but hey, I was 11. Kevin Mattis so dropped that do? pick. Oh, man. The one time <laughs> so he dropped the pick six, Kevin Mattis. Brian Dawkins still haunts my dreams <laughs> from that game. Oh. He was uh, he was an animal in that game. David Jeremiah Trotter. Um, dude, that defense, underrated. Really underrated for Philly. Um, uh, maybe not at the time, but I think now. A little underrated. Um Aaron, any any last thoughts before we get uh, out of here? I think this, you know, if you, if if anybody's out there, you know, goes back and watches this game, you, you'll see kind of a lot of parallels with what I think people hope the 2022 Falcons look like. You know, they got the mobile quarterback, they got the big running back and TJ Duckett running that outside zone scheme. They got the big wide receivers and Brian Finneran and Michael Jenkins. And I, I guess maybe if you want to stretch it, throw Des White in there. Got a Pro Bowl tight end and Algie Crumpler. So it, it's kind of... Comparable. There's a couple parallels between the 04 offense and the, the potential of the 2022 Falcons. Maybe you could say uh, work done in, in Cordero Patterson are sort of, you know, parallels if you can stretch that, you know, as far as I can. You put a lot of expectations on Matt Hennessy. <laughs> yep. Aaron Freeman showing up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Mr. Fantastic <laughs> coming soon. Uh, <laughs> no, I really appreciate you guys um, joining me for this. It was a lot of fun, a really fun game. Uh, there are honestly two people who I wouldn't have rather uh, or who I would have rather done this uh, more than with you. So again, this is Aaron Freeman, host of the Locked on Falcons podcast. And you can find him on Twitter at FalcFans. And we also have Alan Sterk the former host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, which is why these two have such great chemistry. Um, but now he's at Odyssey and also helps out with the Falcolic. And you can find him on Twitter at Alan Sterk. Nice and simple. Um, S-T-R-K. Yes, sir. For the last name. And uh, and yeah, that's what we got. Today's podcast was presented as always by Bet Online. Please like, subscribe, let everybody know where they can find us. And stay tuned. Got a lot of real Falcons 2022 football um, on the way, and it's going to be great. So as always, everybody, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.